Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Good morning. Thank you. Oh, great. A bit of heckling already. That's what I love. So, I <laughs> know. Steady on. So, this morning, I knew that the youth were going to be in with us this morning because it's Easter holidays, and so we are talking about food. I thought I'd talk about a topic that would be close to some of their hearts. And as part of our year of biblical literacy, we're reading through the Bible together as a church family, and in this little mini-series, we're looking at some of the symbols of Jesus. And so today, we're looking at the meal, we're looking at communion, and then next week, Amy is talking to us about the cross And then Easter Sunday, we're talking about the grave and the fact that Jesus died, but that he rose again. And so this is the beginning of that mini-series. So if you're a guest with us today, it's a great time to be here, great time to start. And I thought as we began, perhaps you might turn and just talk to somebody close to you about a special meal that you have enjoyed. It might have been in a special place, it might have been particular food, it might have been great company. Why don't you turn just for a moment and talk about a special meal that you remember or you've enjoyed? So I can see that you're all drooling already at the remembering of that incredible food that you had. Or maybe it was that you were hanging out with some friends. So why don't you just turn back to me? I can see some of you are menu planning already. Oh yeah, I must do that chicken dish again. It was amazing. And so for me, one of the meals that I was remembering was a meal that Nigel and I had about 24 years ago, almost 24 years ago. And we were part of the Vineyard Church in Birmingham at that time. We came to church one day and we saw a new couple sitting in front of us, in front of where we often sat. And so we introduced ourselves to them and they seemed like fun. Their names are Ian and Jill. Jill's Scottish. Ian is from um, South London. And we invited them for lunch. And we were pretty newly married and I really wasn't a confident cook at all. But I had some pork chops in the fridge as you do. And so I thought, right, I'll do pork chops. I can kind of whip whip these up and kind of provide this lunch for them. But the thing was, I was a very nervous cook and I was particularly nervous about giving them food poisoning. And so I really, really grilled these chops just to make sure both sides was well and truly cooked. And so we often remember this meal where we all sat down very politely chewed and chewed and chewed for ages as we shared this meal together. But you know, Oftentimes with meals, it's not actually really what we eat, is it, that's the important thing. It's the company, it's the stuff that we share, it's taking time to invite people into our homes and be together. And in a moment, we're going to talk about a special meal that Jesus shared with his best mates. But before we do that, I just wanted as a little aside, just to share something that sometimes people say to me. You know, sometimes as part of a church family, we talk about being community and family. And sometimes people say, oh, do you know, I never really get invited to people's houses. I feel like I'm the only one who's not invited to join the party. And I don't know if you ever feel that way. But if you do, I just want to really encourage you because there isn't a party going on that you're not invited to. We're all invited to be hosts at the party. And there is a difference between hosting and entertaining. And you know, what I was trying to do when these friends came was I was trying to entertain. I was trying to make it all lovely and have the right dish and make it all okay. And what I ended up doing was hosting. I ended up providing with them some food that we managed to get through, but actually we enjoyed having time being together. And it might be that you're part of this church family and that you don't have your own nuclear family here. Maybe you're a single person and you think, I really think I'd love to get to know that family over there, but I don't feel I could invite them because I don't know what their kids would eat. I don't really know what the kids would do. My house is quite small. You know, it could be awkward. 
Or maybe you're part of a family here and you think, well, actually, I can see that person over there on their own. I'd love to invite them to be part of what we're doing, but I feel awkward because our house is pretty noisy and pretty messy. Maybe I'm just talking for myself. But perhaps I can't open the doors and invite people in because, you know, it wouldn't feel as peaceful and relaxing as somebody who's got their own space to themselves. And so I just want to encourage you as we begin, why don't we just break out of those different kind of mindsets and thoughts? I would love it that we could be a place where we do invite each other to share food, where we're not bothered about whether or not the carpet's been hoovered or whether or not every, all the toys have been put away in a box or even really what we're offering, what the, what the food is, but a place where we can invite people who would like to be part of our family or part of our space just to come in and share that together because we all know the benefits of sharing good time with people and good conversation, don't we? Anyway, that's my little aside as pastor today. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a special meal that Jesus shared with his friends, with his disciples. And if you've got a Bible, we're going to start off in Luke chapter 22. Maybe you've got it on your phone. And if you forgot to bring one with you, we've got a whole pile of Bibles on the bookshelf just over towards your left and my right. So please go and grab one. I've not got the words coming up on the screens because I would love you to read this with us. And we're going to think about this meal We're going to think about the Passover meal that Jesus shared and what it means to us, this meal that we in the church here call communion when we look at bread and when we share wine together. And this is a meal, it's celebrated all around the world in lots of different churches, but sometimes given some different names. So some places it's called the Eucharist, other places it's called the the Lord's Supper or maybe it's called the Mass, depending on the church family that you're part of. And I don't know if you've ever really given this much thought because actually if you look at this, it is a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? The way that we celebrate communion is that we have bread and we have grape juice and we pull off a bit of bread and we dip it in the grape juice and we eat it. And we don't really do that kind of thing anywhere else, do we? It's a bit of an unusual thing to be doing. And so that's why today we're going to be taking a little bit of a closer look. And as we do that, I want to say something to you I've just become really aware as I have been looking at this and I've been studying this, getting ready to talk today, that this is a really, really precious occasion. This is a really holy and important time. We get the opportunity to encounter Jesus through these simple but profound, what are called elements of bread and wine. And I feel like I need to say sorry to you Because as I've been looking at this, I've realised that there is so much more depth, there's so much more um, intensity, there's so much more value around these things than I had understood. And so as a result, more than I'd I'd explain to you. And so today, as we kind of look at this together, I'm going to pray in a moment, I'm going to ask that God would open our eyes and open our hearts and help us understand more of what this means, that it's not a ritual but this is a place where we can really meet God. So why don't we pray together? Father God, thank you for this incredible gift. Thank you that you gave us a meal to share which has so many profound and deep contexts and harking back and harking forward. And we invite you to send a dear spirit and please would you open our eyes and open our hearts. Will you show us something new today? Will you come and make Jesus more real to us today? 
because of what we read and what we see and what we hear and what we do. We love you. Amen. Is that better? Okay, great. So we're going to answer three questions today. I'll look at three different questions. The first is, so why do we take communion or the Mass or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, whatever you, you choose to call it? And the second thing is, what did it mean in Jesus' time? And the third thing is, and what does it mean to us now? So we're going to start off in Luke chapter 22. That's in the New Testament, so it's the right-hand end, the far end of the Bible. We're going to start at verse 7 and read on to verse 23. And in my Bible, it's called the Last Supper. Now, the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. And that is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us, as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him. So there we're hearing what happened at that meal when Jesus was there. And then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. And this one I'm actually going to be reading in the message version. So if you don't have that one, you might just want to sit and listen to this. And this was written by Paul, who came after Jesus. He was one of the early um, disciples of Jesus. And he was kind of describing what the communion service or the meal should be like. And he says this. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. 
what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't care, about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. Well, it's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? And so question one that we're going to look at today is, so why do we take communion? What is this meal about? And as we've seen in the reading from Luke, this is something that Jesus said that we should do. He said that we should remember him in this special way with bread and with wine. And it's really clear as we read the rest of the Bible from what Paul has just said and then reading about the early church in the book of Acts in the Bible that this is what they did. They met, it says, every day and they shared bread and shared wine. And there's talk about when Paul was just about to head off on one of his journeys. It was the first day of the week and they stopped and they shared bread and wine together. So this is something that Jesus instigated that Paul and the early church backed up and that churches through the ages continue to do. And it's not intended that we do this as just kind of a ritual or we said we should do it so we'd better get on and do it. But actually there are different elements of this particular time and this particular service that are supposed to help us in our relationship with God. First of all, it says that we're supposed to examine our hearts. It talks in that passage, doesn't it, about not coming to the table in an unworthy way. And some people say, oh dear, well, I'm, I'm, of course I'm unworthy to come to Jesus. And that's not what it's saying. When we come to, to communion and come to Jesus, we are acknowledging that we come because we have to. We, come, we acknowledge that we come because he's the one who died for us. But what it is saying is, you need to make sure that when you come, your heart is right. And so the first element is to check or test or examine our hearts and check that things are right within us. Are there things that we've said or done that we shouldn't? Are there things that we've said or done that we should have done that we haven't done? We can ask God to just come and show us if our heart's right. Do we have disagreements within our nuclear family or our church family? The second element of it is that we are to give thanks. We need to give thanks to God for who he is and for what he's done. And then to remember what Jesus has done, his death on the cross, the fact that he rose again and what that means, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then there's an opportunity to kind of remember and renew what the Bible calls a covenant. And if you've been listening to some of the talks previously, you'll know that a covenant is an agreement between two people. And so communion is a time when we kind of remember that and renew that. And then finally, we look forward with expectation of what Jesus is going to do. So those are the reasons, the elements of why we take communion. It's a remembering, it's a renewing, it's a cleaning time. It's a time of getting us right with God and a time of us looking ahead. And so the next question is, so why this? 
And what was the context? Because as we've said already, Jesus was a historical person. He lived at an actual time, in an actual place, in a real context. And so to understand the things he said and did, we need to have a bit of understanding of that. And so Jesus was a Jew. And as we read in the Bible, it was festival time. It told us that in Luke 22. It was the festival of unleavened bread. And this was a, a celebration that the Jews had every single year. It was a celebration that God said that they should have a remembering time. And it was a time when they remembered the incredible thing that God has done for them. If you've been reading through the Bible and you've probably read some of Exodus and you'll have seen where the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They were there for 430 years as slaves, which is a long time. The guy in charge was a tyrant who was called Pharaoh and he wanted to keep them as slaves. But God chose Moses and said, go and tell Pharaoh, Look, let my people go, get them to be freed because I want them to come and worship me. And of course, Moses went to Pharaoh, you know this story, and each time he went, he said, please, let my, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, no way, I'm too happy with them doing what I want, thank you. And each time there was a consequence of Pharaoh saying no. There were those plagues, weren't there? There was gnats and flies and the river turned to blood and a whole range of different things. And then the final one, the ultimate one, God said, look, if you're not gonna let my people go, this is gonna be the consequence. The firstborn of every family and of every, all the livestock is going to die. And if you want to escape this consequence, if you want to be saved, there's a particular thing you need to do. He told them they had to have a special meal. told them they had to take a lamb and sacrifice it. And the way they did it in those days, excuse me if you're squeamish, they'd slit the throat and they'd gather the blood. And some of the blood would be thrown onto the altar as a sacrifice. But they were told to take some of the blood and actually put it on the wood around the doors of their houses. Because this was going to be a sign that they were obedient to God, that they were doing what he wanted them to do. And so that they would, the, the angel of death would avoid that house, that those people wouldn't die. But it didn't just end there, because after having done that, they actually had to sit and eat a meal together. They had to roast the lamb in a particular way. It's a very strict in the Bible. It says you shouldn't boil it and you shouldn't do this with it, but you actually need to roast it and you need to eat it together. So there was a sacrifice and then there was a meal. And the Israelites were told after this time that they needed to perform this meal, to have this celebration every year. This was going to be a way to remember. In the same way many of us remember things, remember birthdays through special meals, or remember occasions by the things we've eaten. The Israelites were really encouraged. I want you, well not encouraged, they were told, they were commanded. You need to do this so you remember what I've done. You need to do this, remember what I've done so you can be thankful. And this is a way of us beginning our new relationship, our covenant relationship. And so after the Israelites had come out of Egypt, after they'd been set free, they went um, into the wilderness and they wandered around. And if you've been reading it through, you'll know that um, God gave them some rules about how to be his people, how to live well, how to live in a way that the people around would see him. And there was something I found that I'd never noticed before in Exodus 24, which is really fascinating. Because when this agreement was made, Moses wrote stuff down. Before he wrote it down on those tablets, you know, do you remember he came down the mountain, he had the tablets? Before then, it was written into what was called the Book of the Covenant. And on the mountain, there was Moses, there were three other fellows, Aaron and a couple of other guys, and it says 70 elders. And when they were on the mountain, what they did was they performed a sacrifice and they had a meal with God. In fact, it says in my translation in verse 10, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. 
And so once again, just like the Passover meal, there was a sacrifice and a meal. Here, when the covenant, the agreement was given, there was a sacrifice, there were bulls sacrificed, and there was a meal. And then the Israelites carried on. And we know as we read ahead, all kinds of problems happen. When you get into two kings, the Assyrians and the Babylonians sent all the Israelites into exile. Things didn't work out as they'd hoped or planned. They were looking forward to this promised land and a time of change. And that didn't happen. But at the time of Jesus, what we know from reading other ancient Jewish writings around that time, the Jews were really expectant. They were looking forward to a Messiah who was going to come and who was going to bring change. He was going to be like Moses because he was going to be like a prophet and do miracles. He was going to take them into a new land. He was going to build a temple that was much better, even the temple of Solomon, a place where God could be worshipped forever. And so Jesus and the Jews were waiting for this guy to come. And of course, Jesus was that guy. So let's go back to the Bible again. Let's go back to Luke 22. Because the thing that's really interesting about this is that the meal that Jesus was celebrating was with his friends was this Passover meal. We read that there was a, you know, that they took the lamb. And Jesus in various places is referred to as the Passover lamb. But actually what we read in these verses is that he didn't focus on saying, I'm the lamb who's died. He didn't talk about that. What he did was he kind of altered the meaning of this meal that had been celebrated for so many thousand years. And in that moment, he said, there's something new about this. At this meal, there is bread and there is wine, but I'm going to give new meaning to those symbols. He said, the bread is my body and the wine is my blood. Now, at that meal, it's thought that there were probably four different cups of wine that were drunk. And at the the meal, there was bread. Actually, it didn't look like this. It was unleavened bread. And so it wouldn't, sorry, because I'm in the back, can't see. So here, I've got some bread and I've got some wine. And if you're sitting at the front, you can probably smell this. It smells really amazing. Can you smell it? How far back does the smell go? No, halfway. Well, that's an encouragement. Next week, come and sit closer forward because then you'll smell the bread. (laughs) But I just had these as our kind of visual aids. But the bread wouldn't have looked like this because the Israelites had to hurry out of Egypt. They didn't have time for their bread to rise. So instead they had a flat bread or an unleavened bread. But the bread and the wine were very much part of that meal. But Jesus is kind of reinterpreting what they're about. And bread was really important to the ancient Jews. We kind of take it for granted a bit now, don't we? There are 101 different types of bread. You can have sourdough and granary and lovely ones with raisins and cranberries in and white and brown and wholemeal and half and half and all these different things. And we take it for granted. But in many parts of the world, and certainly in Jewish times, bread was key for sustaining life. It was one of the key elements of life. And when the Jews thought about bread, they would be thinking about two different particular types of bread. They'd be thinking about the manna that God gave the Israelites when they were wandering under the desert. If you've been reading, you'll know about that. The desert, the, in the desert, there wasn't anything to eat. And the Israelites grumbled and God said, don't worry, I've got it sorted. And he gave them this particular bread every day, a miraculous bread. And he gave them meat as well. He gave them quails to eat. But they'd remember the manna. And they'd also remember another kind of bread, which was in the tabernacle, in the holy place. And this was called the bread of the presence of God. And you know, I have been reading through the Bible in a year and I've read this bit and I completely missed it. But in the most holy place in the tabernacle, there were 
various things. There was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box where the Ten Commandments were kept and some other bits and bobs. In fact, there was some manna in there. There was a seven-pronged um, candlestick which was kept burning. I think it was called the menorah or the menorah. And there was also something called the bread of the presence. And this was bread, and there was actually bowls for wine there too. This was a representation of a sacred meal right the way back in the Old Testament. And it was called the bread of the presence because it symbolized the very presence of God with his people. And this bit isn't in the Bible, but actually around the time of Jesus, it's well documented that three times a year at different celebrations, including this one, including the festival of unleavened bread, the bread and the wine were brought out of the Holy of Holies on the golden table and lifted up in front of the Jewish pilgrims and then actually say, behold, let me get the words right. Behold, a sign of God's love. And so way back in the Old Testament, bread and wine were used to represent God's presence with his people. And here, at the time of Jesus, he was, if you like, kind of recapturing that and saying, look, the bread and wine that is just kind of part of this meal, I want you to take these symbols as a sign of my presence, as a sign of me with you. And so this meal, the meal of the Passover, was to remind them a sign of something, the fact that God had rescued them. But this meal that we have is not a sign of something, it's a sign of someone. It's a sign of Jesus who says that he is bread and he is wine. So that's the context. When Jesus was describing this meal and was there with his friends, that's what it was about. So what does it mean to us today? Well, as we go back to 1 Corinthians 11, I just wanted to go through the different elements that Paul said that we should do. And then in a few moments, we're going to have some time to do that and to share this meal together. One of the first things that we need to do when we come to share in this really holy meal is to examine our hearts. Is to take some time and say, Lord, is there stuff that I have done that I shouldn't? Or stuff that I haven't done? that I should. We need to get our hearts right with God and with our, right with other people. And it may be that he gives you a nudge. It may be that he reminds you about somebody even in this room who you've fallen out with or you've got, not been straight with or you gave them a funny look or you said a weird thing. And if that's the case, then I just really encourage you, get it sorted. There'll be time to wander around and say what we need to say. This is a time when we can give forgiveness as well as receiving forgiveness and that's an important and a powerful thing. So we need to examine our hearts. The next thing we do is we take bread and we give thanks. You know, one of the things that I hadn't realised but that I discovered is that at the time of the Passover, the Jews would read and sing through various hymns which are in the Psalms. They'd read Psalms 113 to 118. It's sort of in Jesus' songbook. And those Psalms are full of thanks. So sometimes when we come to communion, we say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. But more than that, we need to start by saying, thank you, God, for who you are. Because that's what these Psalms say. We praise the name of the Lord as we have this morning already. The Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. 
Who can be compared with the Lord our God? He stoops to look down on heaven and earth and lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage, garbage dumps. And so we have the chance to give thanks for who God is. The next thing as we take bread is we remember what Jesus did. He said that this bread is my body. And as we know on the cross, he gave his body as a sacrifice. He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for all the stuff that we've done wrong. For the stuff we said that we shouldn't, for the stuff we haven't said that we should. He came to offer us a gift, a gift of new life with God. And maybe you're here today, you've not heard about that before, or you've been thinking about this for a while and this has never really become real to you. I just encourage you, if that is the case for you today, that as you come to take bread and wine, you might choose and say, Jesus, make this real for me today. Let me know that because you died on the cross, this incredible exchange can happen. I can be forgiven for the things that I've said and done. I can be washed clean and I can have a new life with you. So we can know his forgiveness. And as I've been reading about communion, you know, for me, my experience has been that I have communion when I come to church and you know, we arrange it about once a month here. But there are lots of people who take communion much more frequently than that. Some people take it every day. Some people take it several times a day as a way of remembering and thinking about what Jesus did. And perhaps you might like to make that a practice for yourself in a season of life. It's something that I'm really thinking about. But as you take bread and as you chew on that, you think about Jesus' death on the cross what it meant for him to go there, what it was like to be betrayed, what it was like to feel the agony and the torture that he did. That sense of separation from all the people that he loved, the rejection, the physical pain. And maybe in this Easter period, you might want to take a look at some of the things, that the resources that are available to talk about what the cross really cost him in a physical way. The interesting thing, isn't it, about eating is that usually if we eat something, it changes and it becomes part of us. If I eat my shellies for breakfast, as I eat them, they become part of me. They give me the energy that I need to live and if I eat too many donuts, they become part of me in an unhelpful way too. But this meal, this bread, as we eat it, it doesn't so much become part of us, but we become part of him. Because he says that I am this bread. And in a mysterious way, as we eat it, we become more like Jesus. So maybe that's something you'd like to think and reflect on. As well as thinking about the bread, then he said, look, think about the blood. Think about wine, which is blood. Represents my blood. Blood was really important in the Old Testament covenants, as we know. And as we take wine, then we can think about what this covenant means. We can renew our agreement with God. Remember what Jesus did and we can once again or maybe for the first time say, Jesus, I want to have this friendship with you. I want to live for you. I want to live your way. Thank you for all that you've done. And would you please make this real for me now? And I don't know about you, but it really helps me to do that often. 
when we, were, we used to work with kids a lot, we, we said, as a, as a believer, you need to choose to follow Jesus every day. And for me, sometimes I need to choose to follow him several times a day, because once in my lifetime isn't enough. We have choices to make all along the way. We have decisions that come up. We have attitudes in our hearts. We have ways that we're living. And at each step, we can choose, am I going to do this Jesus' way, or am I going to do this my own way? And so taking the wine is reminding ourselves that we have this agreement with him and we're going to live his way. And there's power in the blood of Jesus. And I know of stories of people who have experienced his power in really powerful ways as they've shared bread and wine. You know, I know of um, somebody who, in Causeway Coast Vineyard over in Northern Ireland, who came to receive communion and had self-harming scars up their arm. They came to receive communion and when they went and sat down again, the scars were completely healed, completely disappeared. And there are other stories of people who have been healed in different ways as they come and engage with Jesus through this incredible meal. I don't understand it. It is a mystery. But it's a reason that we can come to this with holy awe. And then finally, the last thing that we do is we look forward with expectation. Because as Paul said, every time we do this, every time we proclaim this, we're looking forward to Jesus coming again. And the wonderful truth is that this isn't all of it. This isn't all that we have. Now is not the end. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back so that heaven and earth can be reformed and remade so that people can know him in a more full way. And we can be part of that. And so sharing communion is a way of reminding ourselves and renewing our hope in that. And so what we are going to do is we're going to take some time and we're going to share this communion meal now. It's important that we do it together. It talks also in the New Testament about how we share in one body. We're many, but we share in one bread because we are one body. We are the church, and this is a way of expressing our, our fellowship and our familiness together. But I'd love to invite you. Why don't we stand together? And why don't we think through these different elements in the quiet? Spend a few minutes examining your heart and just asking God to show you if there's anything that you need to say sorry for. Give thanks to him for who he is. Remember what Jesus has done, how his death on the cross means that we are forgiven and set free. Remember and renew your agreement with him. Maybe for the first time you want to say yes to Jesus. And then look forward with expectation of all he's going to do. I'd like us to spend a few minutes in the quiet doing that first of all. And then in a few minutes' time, the band are going to play. And thank you, those of you who are coming to serve, would you come and um, take some bread and take some juice? If you're gluten-free, it's over on this side. Other than that, it'll be around the room. But we have some time now, and I would love it if we could take some time over this, thinking, reflecting, and when you're ready, going to take some bread and to take some wine. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this holy meal. Thank you for the opportunity to meet you in the middle of it. And we say, please come. Let us know your presence in a real way. Help us to receive all that you have for us as we give our hearts back to you again.